Genesis chapter 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Okay, well, we'll stop reading there, and we'll begin to reflect on that. So it says, it says in verse 1, Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said... And the Lord had, and the Lord did for Sarah as He had promised. Actually, that word "promised" is spoken. So God doesn't have to make a promise. So say, "I promise I'll do that." No, we do that type of thing because our word generally doesn't mean that much. So we have to promise to tell people that uh, I really mean it. And people promise all the time and they don't fulfill it. But all God has to do is speak. When God speaks, it has to happen. Remember, everything in heaven and earth will move to make that word happen. All he has to do is speak it. Just as he had spoken, this is going to come to pass. Because in, in chapter 18, in chapter 18, verse 14, the, the, uh, uh, the angel of the Lord, who was this, this physical manifestation of God himself, it says, is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at, that, at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. So just as he had spoken, it has come to pass. And it says, the Lord took note of Sarah, and he, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. The things that he had spoken, he did. He fulfilled it. Then in verse 2, And Sarah conceived. One of the things that God did, it says God showed up and Sarah conceived. Now, I'm going to lose some of you, but that's okay. I'm going to risk it. Because the complexity of the biological system is so amazing. To have a conception is just such an amazing event scientifically. When you think of it biologically, what happens when, when a new life is generated? This is something that scientists do not know how to do. Scientists have never made a cell. You say, well, there are synthetic cells. A synthetic cell was when somebody took a known cell already intact and everything, took the genome out of, a, copied a genome from another cell and planted it in that in, in, the, in the nucleus of that living cell. That, that, is, that is very different than making a cell, ab initio, very different. 
That is like my taking the little computer control box from one car and sticking it in another car and saying, I made that car. No, no, you didn't make that car. And so this is exactly the type of thing that, he's, that God comes and God shows up at conception and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. You're going to start seeing these pieces of joy. Let me, let me tell you what it was like. So this is exactly the way it ought to be. So I remember when, when, uh, uh, when Shireen thought that she might be pregnant. We had been married for a couple of years, maybe a year and a half, and uh, we very much wanted to have children. I don't know, I know that these days everybody wants to wait until they're financially secure, like super financially secure. I was a graduate student, and, uh, um, and, and so we were just young people, and we wanted kids, and I never even worried about the money. I figured, how much could a kid cost? I mean, you know what? I only eat a little bit. I, mean, I, I didn't know. <laughs> but at first, it's not that much. I mean, it's, and, and uh, it, it's, as they get older, it just gets more and more. But at first, it's not that much. But I didn't even worry about that. It wasn't even a concern to me. We just wanted to have kids. And, I, and I'll tell you what went through my mind. You might think this kind of odd. But I loved my wife so much. I thought Shireen was the greatest. And I wanted more like her. Just wanted more people around me like her. And, uh, um, and so I remember she called me in the lab because there were no cell phones in those days. And she had just gone to the doctor. And she called me. And I was like, you're pregnant? You're pregnant. And I was, it was just such this rush of joy that my wife was pregnant. And, I, and, you know, we started talking about this and planning it, and we wanted it to be a surprise. So we didn't know if our child was going to be male or female. And, yes, they could tell in, back in those days. They, they could discern that. But we told the doctor not to tell us. We didn't want to know. We wanted it to be a surprise. And uh, uh, so... Uh, and then, then our family started getting interested and gifts started coming and, and all these things started happening. It was probably one of the high points in my life was knowing that I was going to, that, that Shireen and I were going to be parents and that this baby was going to be born. And then I remember that, that uh, when, when Umbreen was born, Shireen had like a 20-something hour labor and it was really a long time and she was just doing it totally natural, you know, there was nothing unnatural, she was just doing, yeah, back in the old days, that's what they did, you know, and uh, um, totally natural, and, and so it was long and drawn out, and I saw all that she went through, and I remember when this, when, when Umbreen was born, they took her and they put her under these warm lamps and stuff, and I remember I just put my finger in her little hand, and she just grabbed my finger, and I just, I just melted, and, uh, um, and then when I'd hold this little baby, Shireen would look at me that she was so happy that I was happy. She looked at me like, I went through this and I'm happy for you. She was so happy that she could give me the joy of being a father. And I would come home from the lab and I'd take, take Umbreen in my arms and, and she was just like a week old and it was... It was uh, 
it was fairly warm out. I remember I'd take a towel and I'd lay it out in the park behind our house on the grass and I'd put Umbreen there. And, you know, she was just this newborn, just looking around at, at, at nature outside. And, and, and uh, uh, Shireen would watch me from the window lying down on this towel with my little daughter and the joy that she had. This is how it's supposed to be. This is exactly what you see here. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham. Isn't that interesting? Look how it's worded. She bore a son to Abraham. Rather than she had a son, mine, she bore a son to Abraham. She wanted to bless this man in his old age. You see that the whole dynamic here is is, is a life for the other person. This is what, what real Christian living is all about. It is a total self-donation, one for the other. It is giving oneself totally for the other. It is total self-donation, one for the other. And this is what Jesus Christ demonstrates for us on the cross. When Jesus dies for us, it is His life for our life. We deserve to die for our sins. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is His life for our life. In marriage, it is supposed to be self-sacrificing love. My love for you. My wife went through all of this and all of this pain and all of this caring. Shireen got so big with this baby. I mean, she just... And I remember she couldn't even get out of the car. She couldn't get out of the car. I would go around and I, you know, I'd pull her to help her to to launch her out of the car. And uh, she couldn't cut her toenails. I had to cut her toenails. She was so big carrying this baby. She couldn't cut her toenails. And I was glad to cut her toenails for her. But when I would hold this baby, I would just see in her eyes how excited she was that I had a little baby to hold. This is, and, and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. Imagine how long she had waited. They had been in the land now 25 years. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90. So this was, this was a, a, just an amazing thing because it was way past her childbearing years. This is what we are told in the book of Hebrews that it was after her normal time. And at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him, just as God had spoken, it happened. We pray a lot for many different things. But God's timing is not our timing. Just as God had spoken, it happened. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. That is what he was told to call his son because when God told him you're going to have a son, he laughed. And it wasn't a laugh of unbelief. It was a laugh like, wow. He just couldn't believe it in the sense of this is overwhelming. And he laughed and God said, call him Isaac. Isaac doesn't mean laughter. Isaac means he laughed. He laughed. And so they named him Isaac, exactly what they were supposed to. In verse 4, then Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. If you look back in chapter 18, chapter 18, verse 19, it says, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep 
the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So remember when we spoke about this in chapter 18, verse 19, it says, for I have chosen him. If you look in the literal translation, it is, for I have known him. So it wasn't projecting out that Abraham is going to lead his family in the ways of the Lord. Abraham was already leading his family. Remember, there were thousands under his charge. He had a band of thousands with him. For I have, cho- I have known him so that he may command. If you look in the literal translation, I have known him that he commandeth his family. He was already doing it. And so here in, in chapter in, in, in chapter 21, he's circumcising his son Isaac. This is the first circumcision that we see on a child eight days old in the Bible. It's not that it hadn't, yet, hadn't happened before in the one-year period. Because everyone in his household, remember he had all these slaves and all these servants and all these military men. So when you have between two and 5,000 people in your charge over that, this 12-month period, this year period, certainly somebody, some boy must have been born. But this is the first account of the, the eighth day, it, it being done in the Bible. Exactly as God had prescribed it to be done, it was done. And it's not an easy thing to do to your newborn. You're like, oh yeah, you know, got to be circumcised. But you, you know, you're not happy about this thing because you hate to see them go through this pain as a little baby. Then in verse four, in verse five, now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And so in, in chapter 17, verse 24 and 25, he was, he was, uh, um, he was nine, Abraham, it says, was 99 years old when he got circumcised. His son Ishmael was 13 when he got circumcised at that same time. So now Ishmael is 14 because it's one year later. Abraham was 99, now he's 100. So you take, you take 99, you add 1, he's 100. You take 13, you add 1, Ishmael is now 14. Sarah said, God has made made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. You see the joy that was in their home. When a baby is born, there is such joy. That is the way it's supposed to be. Everyone who hears this is going to laugh with me and rejoice with me that here this woman, 90 years old, has had a a child. And then again it says in verse 7, And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Look at the way Sarah looks at this. I have borne him a son in his old age. It was this richness in Sarah's life to be able to give herself in this way to be a blessing to Abraham. You don't see her saying, you know, this is all about me. I am so delighted to have given my husband a child after all these years. And then she says, she said, who would have said to Abraham, Sarah would nurse children? So a 90-year-old nursing a child, I'm sure they wondered whether she was going to be able to nurse. Now, when you have 5,000 people in your crew, she could have easily found another woman to do the nursing. And you thought, that's kind of weird. Not in those days it wasn't weird. Because there were many women that were not able to nurse their child, and it happens very often today, and then the women just, you know, you just buy a bottle of formula and you just do it. Well, remember, formula was not available 
until like the 1950s. And so you always had to find what was called a wet nurse, a nurse that was able to, to do this for your child if you couldn't do it. Many women didn't, didn't, weren't able to, to have enough milk for, for a child. Or if they had twins, they didn't have enough. So you always, you had to find somebody else to help. But God blessed Sarah that even at the age of 90, and this is no small thing because very often a child is born and you think, well, the mother can, can nurse the child. Some mothers can't. Sometimes the milk never comes through. And, and, and so in the beginning, you're, you're just watching, is this baby going to be able to get milk from the mother? And it's an exciting thing. And all of this is excitement. It really is. To be able to have a child is excitement. And I don't understand this thing. I just don't understand. I'm not saying it's wrong. You just decide what you need to do. But this thing of waiting 10 or 12 years to have a child, I'll tell you what it can do. It can make you get selfish. Because when you have a child, it is very hard to be selfish because this kid is crying and you can't say, well, you take care of your dinner, I'll take care of mine. How's that? You, you can't do that. One of the things that a child does for you is a child makes it so that you can't be selfish. You have to give of yourself. You have to get up in the middle of the night and feed this child and change this child and do all this stuff. And it breaks people of selfishness. And, and I've seen it. I've seen selfish young women. They have a child and it breaks them of their selfishness. It has to. This is a God-given thing. And this idea of waiting a decade or more till you're you know, totally financially set what happens is you, you, it, it, you never get broken of this until many years into marriage. There's something beautiful about having children, something really good. And it says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham had a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, if you, if you, if you read in literature, in this time period, it will say weaning was five to six years. And you go, wow, that's a long time. Well, I'm sure they gave some table food, but, but women would, would wean ch- children for a long time. And actually, and then they, they, th- this was not an uncommon thing for, for the weaning to go on. We don't know how long it lasted. All we know that there was a party and th- there was apparently a, usually a big party. They didn't celebrate birthday parties like we do every year. They would celebrate this party. This, they'd have a big gathering when the, the weaning was done. So, so when the woman was done nursing and the child was going to be strictly with, with, without the mother's milk, this was a big thing because so many children died in those days, never got past this infanthood. It was a big deal that they lived to be old enough that there's a good chance now this child is going to survive. So you see why this was a big deal. And so this was generally, not. it was not uncommon for the child to even be five or six years old. Again, we have no idea how old the child was, but it was not uncommon for the child to be five or six. I want you to see the joy and the happiness that was in that home. I want you to understand the joy and the happiness that was in my home. When we do things the way God has for us, there is so much joy and so much happiness in it. It is probably among the best days in the life of a couple. Among the very best days in the life of a couple to have a child. To find out you're going to bear a child and to have that child. And the whole process. We went to these classes where, you know, we would sit with people we didn't know and we'd get to know them as we, you know, this is how you got to breathe. 
you know, you, and you go through the breathing patterns of what you're going to do when you're in labor and all the, the things. And, and, uh, and, and so that I was there to help her in this breathe like this and go through all these things with her and, and help her through this process. And then after all, everyone in the class had their babies, we all got together again and we're showing our babies to all the people that we went through the classes. These, and, and, and so there, everything about this is exciting. Let me tell you another image that I've seen. I've seen where, where people have not done it God's way and they've lived together or they've slept around and now the woman becomes pregnant. What is supposed to be the most joyous day of her life turns into a nightmare. Uh-oh. I'm pregnant. It is a nightmare when she finds out that she is pregnant. When we do things the wrong way, it turns the best day of our life into a nightmare. What's supposed to bring now couples together like, yes, you're pregnant. The guy's like, you're what? It becomes the worst day in his life too. When we don't do things God's way, it takes what he had intended to be the very best day of our lives. And it turns it into the biggest nightmare of a life. That's what happens when we go against the ways of God. Say, well, the world says it's okay because the world is wrong. The world says it's okay and the world is wrong. The Bible is right. This book will remain. Our culture will be done away with. Many things that our culture says are just fine. And they propagate to young people as being just fine. Are scripturally wrong. God has said it is wrong and it will always bring pain. It will always bring pain. Even if society says it is fine, it brings pain. Because it's not God's way. You sleep around, you're going to get pregnant, and it's going to be the worst day of your life. What was so much joy in their lives can be the joy in your life. If you do it right. If you do it right. So much joy. And it turns into the worst day. And then, what comes into our culture is, what should we now do? What should we now do? The woman is pregnant. She's not married. The guy is not particularly excited about being a father. All the joy of fatherhood is gone. There's no joy in this. Well, let's just resolve this because society says there's a way to resolve this. This is just fine. Did you know when I was a kid, you didn't have that way to resolve it that was just fine? And if you tried to resolve it that way that some presumed was just fine, it was not just fine and society told you it's not just fine to eliminate this baby? 
in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 11 and 12. It says this. Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12. Deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter. Oh, hold them back. If you say, see, we didn't know this. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? He says, deliver those who are being taken away to death. Hold them back. And if you say, oh, I, I had no idea. I had no idea that it, it was wrong. You know, I had no idea. Does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to a man according to his work? God knows everything. God knows everything. Even the hardest of hearts in a culture, they know what's right and wrong on this. They know what's right and wrong. I haven't said a word. I'm just reading the Bible. You got a problem with that? That's why we're here, to study what the Word of God says. There is a treasure. There is an absolute treasure in following God. An absolute treasure. And we can really mess it up by disobeying Him. If you look in Proverbs chapter 19, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 3, sometimes the woman will say to me, why did God allow this to happen? Why did God allow this to happen? And the guy can be so upset too. This is not, this wasn't supposed to happen. Proverbs chapter 19 verse 3 says, the foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. You ruined it, and now you blame God. The foolishness of man ruins his way, and his heart rages against the Lord. And the Lord's like, not me. And not me. Don't take the most treasured thing that you have, the best day of your life, and squander it. Don't do that. I beg you, do not do that. It should be such a glorious time where the guy is so excited to have this child and the woman is so excited to go through the pain of that just to see the joy in her husband. Yes, she wants the child herself, but twice in this portion, it talks about, and she bore a son to Abraham. And she says it to her, herself, that she bore a son, that I'd born a son to Abraham. It is a great joy to have a husband, to have a father of a child, the father of your child, really loving that child and so excited with you, not encouraging you to terminate that child. You see the way the world has got this all messed up? 
You say, well, I can sleep around because I take certain things that keep that from happening. No. I mean, contraception can be 100% effective if it's taken exactly the way it's prescribed. Read the way it's prescribed. It is very precise. Read the things that you shouldn't be taking along with it that can cause it not to work. People are in contraceptives all the time and they get pregnant. Lives get messed up. And plus what it does, you save, you save all of this for the one whom you're going to spend your life with. And it is an absolute treasure that I sacrifice myself for you. I don't even know who I'm going to marry yet, but I'm sacrificing myself for my spouse-to-be. I'm sacrificing myself and what could be my joy, presumed joy and happiness and pleasure, for my spouse-to-be. Because this is for you, my spouse-to-be. I am saving myself for you. This is God's way. God has always spoken highly of virginity. Always. The world laughs at it. Let them laugh. The world is wrong. God is right. Let them laugh. It, it talks about this in, in, the, in the book of Acts. It talks about Philip the evangelist. Philip the evangelist. Philip who, who, who had witnessed to the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip who was picked up and, and brought to different places talks about in, in Acts chapter 21, verse 9, it says that now this man, mean, meaning Philip, had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. Spoke highly of his daughters. He said, these are good girls. And they were prophetesses. God was using them mightily. Always spoke highly of virginity. The world makes fun of it. The world laughs at it. The world mocks it. And the world also mocks at, at preserving and loving life, the lo- life of the child. Now the big thing is to say your, 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 your first abortion is your best. I mean, that's how the world has gotten. Become sick. Become absolutely sick. And when we start disrespecting life, when we start disrespecting life, everything becomes devalued. Everything. Now, I know everybody has different views on on, on capital punishment and things like that. And I know everybody knows a lot. But I worked in a prison for 10 years, going in and, and, and working with people that were in a maximum security prison. And you see people on death row. And I'll tell you, that changed my perspective that you don't touch life. We can keep people away from society that need to be kept away from society. We know how to do that. I don't want to ever touch a life. Never take a life. That's for me. I'm just telling you for me. Because I've met these men. For me, it's not just talking about some person far away. No, for me, I knew them. I don't want to touch a life. Because life is precious. And when we devalue human life, things start falling apart in societies. Really falling apart. 
God has a treasure and a best way for us. And it's the example is here. Jesus has a way for us. Jesus, it says, it's, it's very clear that Jesus has given himself for us. Jesus, the Bible says, has died for the ungodly. Whatever you have been through, I'm not judging you. My life is, is plenty of uncleanness in my life. Plenty of unclean. I, I'm sure I could go toe-to-toe with you, one-for-one, one, matching uncleanness to your uncleanness. I, I could do it. It's like when two old people get together and <clears throat> one says, my, my knee is really, well, my, my, my hip's really bad. And this is going back and forth. Is Who's got it worse? We could do that. But he has redemption for you. He has redemption. Let this day be the beginning of your purity. Start it this day. Reserve yourself starting this day for your spouse to be. Reserve it. Start it this day for your spouse to be. And you live differently. There's sacrifices you have to make. Some of the sacrifices are if, if, if you're in the habit of, uh, of losing yourself in these sorts of relationships, you don't go to places where this can happen. So in other words, you want to go on a date, you don't go to somebody's apartment. You don't do it. You just don't do it. You go to Starbucks. Sit there and hold their hand and look in their eye and talk to them. All right? But I know you're not going to end up in bed together at Starbucks. Not going to happen. There's things you just don't do. This is part of Christian life. There's ways that you protect yourself. And you protect that relationship. And if that other person values the relationship like you do, they will support you in this. And you want someone like Abraham who's going to take this child and have that child circumcised on the, on the eighth day, meaning that who's going to take up their responsibilities in the Lord with the family. It is a great comfort to a woman to have a husband that leads spiritually in that household. Great comfort to a woman that, who has a husband who leads spiritually. And if a woman doesn't appreciate that, shame on her. To have a husband that will lead spiritually, that will teach the kids the Word of God. That is a great comfort to a woman that it doesn't have to just fall upon the woman. And the guy said, Well, you know, my wife, she's kind of the leader in these sorts of things in her home. I'm like, No, you need to be the leader. You need to stop going fishing on Sundays and take your family to church. You need to be the leader. It's a great comfort to get this right. Jesus has redemption for you. Jesus has for you redemption. There's redemption in Jesus Christ. Let that start this day. If you're an unbeliever, it is impossible to fulfill these things without the work of God in your life. Come to Jesus this day. I urge you to come to Jesus. I plead with you to come to Jesus this day. It says Jesus died for the ungodly. Jesus died for the sinner. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. If you are ungodly, that's exactly what this is for. Come to Him. If you feel dirty and filthy because of the past, you're exactly the one that Jesus died for. He died for the ungodly. Let your life be filled with Jesus this day. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, I pray for these young people. Lord, I pray that from this day they would set their lives to walking uprightly according to your way because there's so much joy in your way. Lord, I pray that they would take hold of what I've said today and that these young women would so guard their lives and that these young men would so uphold these young women in that to protect the relationships so that it could be done in the right way because there's so much joy in it. Let them not lose sight of the most glorious day in their lives. And Lord, I pray that you would allow the women here to be ones who would love the children that are conceived within them and protect them and do this in the right way, Lord. Protect them, Lord. Father, protect them, I pray. And Lord, I pray for these young men that they would take up the mantle that you have for them to walk in the right and the godly way. Lord, I pray that they do that. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are here. Father, open up their hearts. They would pray this day, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me because I'm a sinner. That Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And Lord Jesus, I pray also for those here who are from this day going to set their lives apart to walk with you. Father, I pray that this day they'd start by repenting and turning to you and say, Lord, from this day, let me live wholly unto you and set apart for the one who is going to be my spouse. Lord, that they would live in that right way. And Father, I pray for the young men in here that they would learn your word and that they would become the spiritual leaders in their home to teach their children the ways of God, to lead their wives and their children in the way of of God. Father, I pray that they would do that. And Lord, I commit this to you. Have mercy on these young people for the glory of Jesus and in his name. Amen.